the red flag flying here The red flag flying here. Hello and welcome to the second part of Heatherwood's interview with Socialist Think Tank. At the end of the first part of the interview, we were discussing the solidarity that was being shown both locally, nationally, and even internationally to the striker miners of the UK who were under attack from a hostile Tory government. We explore this a little further. Um, then we got approached by Northern Arts, who wanted to do a play about the strike, and they put in a, a writer in residence came to stay with one of our women, and uh, <clears throat> she wrote this play, Not by Bread Alone, and it toured the northeast. And then we got a request to take it to London. But Northern Arts said, oh, no, you can't take it to London. Won't work. And I said, why? Now, one of the scenes in the play took you back to a Victorian miner's house. And somebody died and the coffin was in the corner. And Northern Arts said people in London wouldn't understand anybody bringing a body home in the coffin. So we said we'd take it ourselves. So they withdrew all support. We had to take their names off the letter headings. They wouldn't find the, um, the things that we needed, the props and everything. We had to find them ourselves. We took it to London, it was a huge success. Then we took it to Germany and did two shows over in Germany. Um, lots of stories about there. I, I could go on forever because there's loads of stories about there, what we did, and not every woman paid her own way. You just think of that just after the minor strike. Every woman paid her own way. Um, we had to get, because Northern Arts had provided a producer, a director, so we had to get our own director. So I spoke to one of the local comprehensive uh, drama teachers, Jean, and she agreed. And uh, I remember sitting on the boat because nobody could afford a cabin. And uh, Jean and me just looked at each other and she said, you've done it. Because they said, no, they not said we'd never do it. We did it. And it went down a storm. Um, there's a story there. We got talking to some lads. There's this thing, you know, I know little bits of loads of languages, but I don't know lots of any of them. Uh, so I asked these lads are French. I'm going over there to talk to them. We were just on the, the little chairs on the upper deck. And uh, we were sat, we had a bit of food among us, and we had some drink. And they were doing the same. So I went to talk to them. They weren't bloody French, they were Spanish. But anyhow, they came to, uh, into our company. We were all sat talking. And my mother realised they had cabins. So she says, uh, you have a cabin? He says, yes. She says, I'll sleep in your cabin because you're staying up here having this party. She got a cabin for the night. So that, that was some, that's another achievement for lots of women. Um, and the fact that we all stuck together, because when the relief fund was first started, you know, and we said, I said, We'll do meals and we'll do parcels. Um, there were people who, after the strike, got quite prominent positions uh, in the Labour Party who said they wanted their names taken off anything to do with the relief fund because we'd never do what we said we would do. But after a few months when we were doing it, 
they came in to take the credit and we said, no, bugger off. Um, it's, so it was some achievement that, uh, I mean, the book, uh, because again, I'm speaking mainly for Easton because that was where I mainly spent my time. But I used to go to the other groups, support groups, and try and G them up and keep them going and be comradely, be sharing. And what we used to do, any food that came in or anything that came in from outside, came to the Colliery Club and we had a rotor, which group's turn it was. So I would just ring somebody and they would come and get it. Um, so how, in Easington, we met on every Thursday night and uh, you knew as the strike was going on, tempers were getting fraught because bills were coming in and it was awful. And I said, uh, look, if you want to say something, write it down, either a story, a verse, or a song, or whatever, bring it to the meeting on a Thursday night, it can have one humdinger of an argument. And when we walk out those doors, we won, because this strikes bigger than any one of us. And you know what worked? It really worked. The road songs, the road poems, and then Lottie Shanklin from Durham, from the Community Arts Project, who we'd made friends with and who'd helped us raise a lot of money. Um, she said, why don't they put it together in the book? So we went and learned how to do the layout for a book. Took it to the publishers, not bribe bread alone. We also got the local school involved. The Bens did the drawings to go with the poems. Um, and so they did a book. I don't think there was anything, you know, um, and everybody was together. The local fish shop, uh, Harry Evans, the miners gave him a lamp after the strike. Uh, every, once every month he would ring me and say, how many do you want this week, Heather? And I could say, 300, 400 fish and chips or packing chips or whatever. He would say, right, send a couple of the lasses up and as me pans go off, I'll be able to still cook yours. And he bought everything mined, paid for it, fried it, cooked it, sent it down, and we served it. Uh, the local bakery, my man knew uh, Duncan Simmons, who worked in, who was the chef in Burdesses. And my mum used to make the pies, but she made them in great big trays. Well, in the Colliery Club, we only had a domestic oven and a boiler. We couldn't get these big trays in. So she went to see Duncan and said, Duncan, can I make them? We'll bring them down. And you put them in your oven. Bring them down at this time, Merle. The ovens will still be hot enough. So we timed the lunch. Got them, the lads would go in the van, bring them back up. We served them with peas and potatoes. Uh, just that's how, that's socialism, isn't it? That's where everybody's working together. But strangely enough, there was once I was sat on the Friday in the church coffee morning and this woman said to me, the men were walking down the street and she said, Heather, and this is just how she talks, my mouthful of marbles, she only lived in the colliery. Um, but she said, Heather, can you tell me how it is that you are um, involved in the minor strike? And your husband is a minor. I said, well, one, I'm a Christian. Two, I'm a socialist. And I want our community to continue because I love the community. And if I'm honest, I want to beat the government. But if all of those fail, somebody's got to feed those bands. 
they have had no say in this strike. She never said another word. Not another word. But that church didn't give us anything in the strike. The Catholic Church gave their collection every week for a year. They gave that. And every Friday, after about three months into the strike, I used to quote the Catholic Fathers uh, and over a cup of tea, sitting blubber because there was that much getting on top of us because people were ringing us middle of the night. Uh, I've waited till my wife's gone to bed. Um, I can't pay the electric bill, so I'm going to kill myself. You know, all of this. And I would get up and go out and see to them. Um, and so I had, for me, I was on the outside, but I was very much on the inside. Um, much more than individual families because I was listening to everybody. Granted, in the, in the main, I was signposting them to somebody else. But I couldn't just say, oh, you can go up to East Down Trust. I mean, it wasn't there then. Or you can go to social services. That wasn't what people needed. They needed somebody who would listen to them first and then come up with a solution. That's socialism. It's not just saying, oh, I can go there, go to the DSS, sign up. Um, or bugger off, you might as well say if you say that. Um, so there was all that. And I thought to myself, I knew John knew I was upset about what was happening. But I didn't want my family to know how upset I was. And I thought, well, who can I talk to about all this? I couldn't. I ruled our vicar out. Not because he was a... a he wouldn't listen, but because he had a wife and I was frightened, rightly or wrongly, that he would talk to her. Um, so I thought, oh, well, Catholic father, then he's got no, no wife, nobody close to him. I'll tell him. Um, and Father O'Connor, amazing man, amazing man. Um, and it was funny because at the end of the strike, we had money left and we decided we'd give it back to the community, share it among every organisation in the community. So we invited our church who'd give nothing. And uh, I organised uh, some women from the uh, anti-nuclear uh, campaign to come and do a short sketch. So we didn't present the checks until the sketch had been on, so they all had to sit through this bloody, totally political sketch so they could get the check. Um, but it was hard. There's no two ways about it. Um, it was hard for me because I was going to work. Uh, and I was going down there, uh, we were fundraising, we were working sometimes 20 hours a day. Um, was, it was hard for the women, it was hard for the bands. Um, and as Christmas came near, it was just a horrendous thought about what we would do for Christmas. Horrendous. But we decided that we would get it at least one new toy for each child. That was Eason's contribution. And uh, we, so we, we went to the union and said, can you give us again? Have you got the addresses? Uh, no. So we got the men, the union men, to go around each house in Eason to find out how many children, what the ages were and what the sexes were. And we wrote to the co-op and we used the empty half of Easington Co-op and the walls, the four walls, were lined with each street of Easington. And 
we had. People gave us uh, fluffy toys that we washed and puffed up and made them new. We bought one new thing for each bed and the, we put everything in a plastic bag and in front of their street and it had on who it was for. Um, we couldn't give them out there. We had to transfer everything up to the Colliery Club. The court wouldn't let us give them out from there. Um, that was that was a very emotional time. Um, I, I remember somebody having a wedding, and we got all the allotment holders to get flowers and things for the wedding. And uh, somebody knew somebody who had uh, white tablecloths, and uh, even the bride's bouquet we managed to get put together because the community socialism at work. Now, now when I say to some people that's socialism, you know, it's like, oh no, it's not. That's Russia, you know. We were always taught Russians have horns out their heads. I remember when I first went to Russia, I, I said to somebody, you know, where's the horns? I've got horns coming out of their heads. We were meant to be terrified of them. Because um, I went there after the strike and I went when I was young, when I was about 12. Um, and I went back after the strike. I took a group of kids there. And this woman, uh, the Russian woman, she said to me, why do you cry all the time? And I said, uh, because your town is like my village in 1984. And she looked and I said, there was a subtle difference. You have nothing in your shops, but you have nothing. But when company comes, when people come to visit, you try to put a display on. I said, we had shops full of things, but we couldn't afford them. When people came, we put a display on. And this woman, she said to me, you have seen right through us. And I remember. And it made the friendship that we'd made, it made it even closer. So again, it was socialism in action, wasn't it? We were expressing each other's feelings and listening and empathising and understanding. Um, but yeah, Christmas was Christmas was hard. The school holidays, we got the, the men uh, to take the kids on bus trips. Um, that was their job then, they had to occupy the kids. Um, but I don't know where we got the money from for the buses, but we got it from somewhere. Um, and uh, Denise Gregory and I went to London to raise funds. We thought we'd have a look in Harrods. And we were in the glass department, the crystal department. I go, Denise, what would happen if I ran around here and smashed all this bloody crystal? What do you think? It shouldn't be, should it? Uh, but I didn't do it. But by God, I was so close. Um, you know, the money that you could see, the people spending. And here we were fighting for people's very lives. Um, and then we met a, another great man. Um, Hugh Bain, um, a lot of people that come across him. He was a, a lecturer at Durham University at the time, and he raised thousands of pounds to come in the same relief fund, thousands, um, from different universities, different organisations that he knew. Um, wrote quite a few books on the strike. And we came out of a meeting near the end of the strike. It was a big meeting. And the lasses were walking ahead of us me and you were walking together and we just looked at each other and both of us were crying. Both of us were crying because we knew we'd been in there cheering everybody on and we knew it was coming to an end and wasn't the end we wanted. And But 
we wiped our eyes, got on the bus, said, start saying, here we go, here we go, here we go. You had to do it, you had to do it. Um, to keep people going, I, I was sitting crying one day, and one of the women, because my dad was bad, and one of the women came on and she said, don't you cry. I said, what do you mean? Because if you cry, we'll all cry. So imagine that's put on you. Imagine that stress put on you. I, I didn't have a family for a year. That's another thing. Um, a lot of other people are the same. But um, it was out coming up to our holidays. Well, we could afford a holiday. And we booked to go to Scarborough. Um, and I was thinking to myself, I can't go to Scarborough. But how can I tell John and the kids? I'm never with them. How can I say? So I didn't say anything. And this night, John goes, do you know, Heather, there's too much going on. You can't really go to Scarborough. I goes, do you think not, John? <laughs> so I drove them to Darlington bus station because John didn't drive. And he got the bus with the kids from Darlington to uh, or Middlesbrough to uh, Scarborough. And I went and picked them up on the Friday because the lasses said, get there, you're too bloody miserable here. Go and see them for the last day at Scarborough. Um, but everybody gave up so much. Everybody gave up so much. Shops did, families did, grandparents did, brothers and sisters who didn't work, because they helped other people. Uh, my mum, in the summer, my mum and dad paid for, and my mother cooked a dessert for each bairn. The adults didn't get anything. But in the six weeks, they got the bairns got a dinner and a sweet. Um, at, Christmas, at New Year, there was a French camera crew wanted to film us on just how we celebrate New Year and uh, asked one of our women if they could do it in her house, Marilyn. And she said, oh, yes. And then she says, Heather, I've got nothing. I've got no food, nothing. Anyway, we down now and go, oh, it doesn't matter. We'll each bring a bottle and that. We don't need anything. And in comes me, mum and dad with bread, you know, the bed tr bread trays, bread trays full of pies, cakes, sausage that my mother had baked. And I mean baked. There must have been 50 of us there. But Marilyn starts crying. We all cry because out of nothing, we had something. Um, and the good thing about it is that nobody took any more than they were due to. Not one of those women. If there was a tomato left, invariably it was about three tomatoes that were left, I would say, okay, we'll put the names in a hat uh, and you can each buy a ticket and five pence or something. And whoever won them won the tomatoes. We once got a, um, an Easter egg that was smashed and somebody said, oh, can we open it, Heather? I said, no, we'll raffle it. And whoever wins it can share it out. Nothing, nothing was done the the union invited us to the welfare hall one night and they gave each woman a parcel food parcel and i remember denise saying to me heather what's the matter with your face you're miserable i says well i'll tell you the truth you getting them parcels out of your turn you took somebody else's turn each one of those women every one of them gave that parcel back to the union and that says something, they had nothing, but they knew that it wasn't right to take it. Once it was pointed out, they knew and gave them back. It's just, but as it got near the end, it was, it was, 
was demoralizing, was depressing. Um, it was frightening because we knew that if we lost, we knew what we had to lose. Um, but the day that went back, I mean, we picketed. That's something that's important for me. The women didn't um, only provide food, uh, meals and food parcels, but they went on picket duty, went on marches, demonstrations. Um, we were accused, we were called uh, scabs by one prominent woman um, in the Durham area uh, because we wouldn't sign a petition to the Queen. Um, the um, women's uh, women against pit closures, they got a petition up to the Queen and uh, we wouldn't sign it. Um, well, this woman called us scabs. Um, but I mean, I wouldn't sign it. I couldn't sign the petition to the bloody queen. Best of what you're going to do. Anyway, I'm not going to beg to her um, and her kind. Um, but she'd be sitting laughing, receiving a petition from us. So there were all those things. And um, it, was, it was good. It was bad. It was happy and it was sad. That's what I always say. Was all them things, and it could be all those things within the space of two minutes. Again, Christmas, turkeys. It was so funny. We didn't have a phone as women's as a women's group, you know. Uh, we used not like the union had the, the phones and everything. My mum and dad paid my phone bill right the way through the strike because we had less money because we used our phone. We didn't take petrol money, nothing. So John was the secretary when I was out, and. Uh, he says, I'm bloody sick of phone calls about chickens and turkeys. I'm sick of it. He says, then he picked the phone. He says, there's no bloody turkeys left. And it was Brian Quinn who was a member of UCAS, and it was about something entirely different to chickens and turkeys. But the day came to give them out, and uh, the French came uh, with these massive lorries. And uh, the two Frenchmen, John, had to uh, translate. I say, I did schoolboy French. Um, but we'd agreed throughout Eastern and District, the method of giving them out would be, if you lived in Eastern Colliery, but you worked at Seam, you just got your chicken or your turkey at Eastern. You didn't have to walk to Seam to get a bloody chicken. Uh, so, and it was the same all the way around the district. So the morning came, we had the table set up, the men were in the queue, in walks the union, Benny Andy. He says, are we doing this, Heather? And I told him, can't do it that way. It's got to be just season lodge men get here. He'll have to go to see him or Merton or wherever. So I says, right, lasses, we're on strike. And we walked away. And I didn't drink then, believe it or not. But Sylvia, one of our women, she always had a pint of a lager. And I said, uh, my mum and dad was both there. I said, Sylvia, can I have this pint? Oh, yeah. So I'm drinking this pint, and my mother's going, he gone, she's got them on strike, we've got all these chickens and turkeys, what are we going to do? Then he comes over. Do it the way you want. Just do it the way you want. Right, lasses, we're back to work. Just after that, phone call from Sam. They were saying the same through there. And they'll say, but they won't listen to us. I says, well, go back and tell them, Heather Wood says. Um, and it was just, it was just so bizarre the way they wanted us to do it and the way they thought that they could come in and tell us what to do. Um, but the, the day they went back, um, that was, 
we got the banner out and some of our friends from uh, different areas, uh, women friends from Middlesbrough, for, in, for instance, a uh, particular socialist worker, um, they came, uh, Vanessa, we always called her our punk. And I, I, people, in, some people in Eason would go, particularly the older ones, look at the state of her. She had this Mohican, and it was all bonnie colours, different colours. Uh, look at the state of her. Fancy coming out? And I said, do you know that girl has raised more money for the miners than you will ever raise? Nothing was ever said again. Um, but So we all came together, and we marched down the street, and we stood outside the pit wall, and we sang. And I can see the faces now. The men had pulled themselves up on the wall, and the pit helmets then were peering over the wall. Listen, listen to us singing back to work. Um, it was, it was. I mean, it was devastating for everybody. Uh, but somehow, my mum pulled through, and she kept saying, "Something will come, Heather. Something will come. Don't be so down." But that was when my health deteriorated. That was, um, and I think that's what did it. That's what set me onto this road. Um, and I never did anything political for a while, a few years, mainly because of my health. Um, and then just one day I woke up and said, you've got to get back out there, girl. You've got to start doing it again. I couldn't see anybody else then. The youths weren't there and there was no young people coming up. And it's like, who the hell's going to carry this on? Who's going to do it? So you've got to get out there. But then... All those years later came Jeremy Corbyn, came the young people, came, it was just like a godsend. Um, and hopefully, I mean, being let down um, by our own party. Um, over Jeremy, we could have won our election. We could have won it. Uh, if our own stuck beside us. Following what many would consider to be life-defining events from that year, I wanted to explore with Heather what the legacy of the mining strike was for communities like hers in Easington. I also wanted to ask her what her hopes were for the future and how we rebuild that kind of solidarity in communities that have been decimated. The, um, for me, the change was bound to come once the pit closed because the pit, as much as we disliked it, was the thing that made us the community. Um, so the community would spread. People were gonna, if they were gonna get jobs, they were gonna be working outside the community. They had nothing in common anymore. Then you had Thatcher and uh, there is no such thing as society. Look after your own, you know, keep within your own. Um, and that's what happened to people. People became isolated. People became, there was a lot of unemployment. I mean, we have the highest at one point, I don't know where it is now, the highest in Durham, um, and the, uh, the highest elderly population in Durham. Um, in the country, I think we are. Um, and when you think, the working people used to look after the older people, but we didn't need uh, social services. Um, and now the government's wondering why 
people need we need money more money into social care because most people moved away from here who were used to looking after family most not all of them were a lot did uh, so you have a lot of elderly who have no family at all living near so they're on their own and they need more money they need more care so to me I knew we would split but how do I put it? I think people went into isolation a little bit like the lockdown um, because they didn't people started to stop going to clubs and pubs they started to close there was no um, the shops started to close, so we didn't. I mean, when I was younger, we used to go to Equis Ice Cream Shop every Friday. We would all meet in there. Uh, the women whose men worked at the pit would go to the pay office, um, and I would go to the bank and get our money. We'd all meet in there, have a cup of coffee. So you're chatting over things that's happening, what's going on. May not have thought it was political, most of them, but it was, and you, you were talking about what was going on. Uh, the men would talk at the pit or in the club. That all stopped, people were drinking in the houses, people were listening more to the television, the media. Up till then, well, for years and years when you think we didn't have the media that we have now, and it's it's pushed into people to believe everything. You've got no idea, well, you probably have the they believe everything that's been on the telly, so it must be true. It's in the news, so it must be true. Now, how I always brought I was up was to the way you learn is you don't listen to just one person. You listen to everybody. You read as much as you can, the pros and the cons. You listen to the television, but then you make your own mind up. I think their minds are being taken away from them, and it's what's in the press. It's pushed. I mean, for instance, in Easington, Brexit, it was Europe that was letting all these foreigners come in and take our jobs. Eh? Sorry, Margaret Thatcher took our jobs. But the press, which wanted us out, they were pushing and pushing. They pushed all those people into voting like that. It wasn't, it wasn't a fair uh, decision that they took because they didn't have all the information. Whether they think they had because they heard it on the telly or not, they didn't have the information. Um, but I think we've got, we don't have that commonality. That's the big thing anymore. Uh, so people are listening to gossip, listening to um, the right wing who have. They're the ones that's got it right, you know. They moved into the collieries when the Labour Party didn't. For years, there wasn't an active Labour Party. There wasn't a Labour Party that wanted to bring new people in. They were all right there where, where they were. They controlled things. So that's how we missed out. That's how socialism went out the window. Quite Mostly it went out the window in our villages. But the Socialist Worker Party the, um, and the racists, uh, National Front, all that got into these collieries. A good man in Blackhall, he's dead now. He was, a, uh, he was on the executive at Durham. Uh, a great man. He went through hell for years because he was anti-racist. And the racism that, that had built up 
in their community was horrendous. I mean, how can you have, how can you say that people are taking your houses and taking your jobs? This district is the least, uh, has the least immigrants in it than any other, I think, in the country. You know, I think the, 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 the thing, because you've got one black person walks up the street. For instance, the other week there was somebody on Facebook going on because they'd seen some black person, why they had to say it was black or white or green or yellow, I don't know. But it urinated in the shop doorway. And I says, well, I can count. Well, I can't. I haven't got enough fingers to count how many white men have urinated in the shop doorway in Aizen Corrie. Um, but because he stood out, he was the one that was taking all the blame. You've come, you took our jobs, you've taken our housing. And I just, I don't understand. The only thing I can blame it on is press, media, isolation. Um, now in Easton, uh, one of the big things is um, we've, I believe we've created ghettos. Not The ghettos are not just in Easton, but there are people who... Um, People who have problems, not problem people, people who have problems, who've come from all areas of the country because their council have wanted rid of them. And they've said, go up north, go to County Durham. It's a better life. It's a nice seaside area. They love it. So they leave any support that they had. They come up here to start a new life and they've got nothing. And we have, haven't got the money to facilitate their needs either. So, and they're all put into one area of housing. So they're working on their own in that area. Then you've got um, oldies and people who move back into the new housing. Uh, then you've got the very elderly population. And then you've got the young unemployed, who've maybe third, we've gone on fourth generation now, unemployed in some houses. Um, I can't see a way out of it unless we get a Labour government. I think what we need is a Labour party that will, um, is willing to go out of its own areas um, to work. And I think we've seen some of that in recent years. Um, I mean, we've always done it to a certain extent, but I think in areas like Eason District, you've got, the Labour party's got to come in, and the trade union movement, mind. Uh, I often think unite, you know, they've got unite community, and that they do a lot of work. If they could come over this coast, and the younger people, it's not good me going talk to the younger people in Easington. You know, um, it's got to be young people speaking to young people. Um, it's got to be people who've had similar problems uh, who come across. Not somebody who's going to come in and say, "Oh, we're going to gift you with this." It's some. It's people have got to come in and um, sort of coax them out of the way they feel about themselves. Because although they say they're still proud people, I think the self confidence is gone. Um, the will's gone. They've lost the heart because they can't see, or they haven't seen that. Um, a viable party to come and govern and do something for them. And that's where the big mistake was for me because Jeremy's and Jeremy's Labour Party were 
the ones who would have done it. They would have done it. But because of the press and the media, these people thought he was a demon. No, he's a nasty man. The man who couldn't be a nicer person, who couldn't be a more gentle person, more gentle. They see him as, as a, um, a monster. Um, so I think we've got some work to do in the Labour Party and the trade union movement. Uh, years ago, Unite were going to come across here. Um, I forgot the name of the young lad I was talking to. He was one of the organisers. And uh, I never heard that they came. Uh, they might have, I might be wrong. But I think we've got to like, um, come out in force into the party, into the villages, and try to get people involved. Because at the minute, I mean, I don't go to my Labour Party branch meetings because we're so destroying. Absolutely soul destroying. No politics. We talked about dog dirt. Um, we talked about roads that needed doing, potholes. You know, no politics. I, I suggested things. Uh, our local councillor says I'm always getting at him because I ask questions. Is that a way to run a Labour Party? You know, I, I, that's, is that a way to make people feel welcome who are, who are coming into the party? That's why a lot of people around here won't join. Um, but I don't, I don't know if we'll ever get back, people back to thinking, once over the years to say, um, oh, politics, I'm not involved in politics. I remember a man saying that to me in the street, and I said, what's that pint of beer in your hand? And he said, uh, what's a pint of beer? I said, well, where does the taxes go off that? Oh, you can't take it that far. I says, that's politics. It's politics. Um, but I do think that what's going on now um, has certainly made people more aware of politics. We sit in our garden, which is adjacent to a footpath, and there's a lot of bushes between, and we hear loads of conversations. And the majority recently have been politics. Okay, it's around the lockdown, it's about Boris and all the mistakes he's making, but the talking it. Um, but it's saying to them afterwards, that was politics. You are involved in politics. And for me, politics is everything. So if politics is everything, it's the thing that we've got to use to try and change those people's attitudes. And to change those attitudes, we have to get in there and let them know we care. The minute they don't think that we care that much. We keep the red flag flying here. We keep the red flag flying here.